are so grateful that you are joining with us on our podcast. We exist to lead the people of the valley to be more like Jesus. We are a church here in Salt Lake City, and we invite you to connect online at lifechurchutah.com. We hope you enjoy this message. It's uh, great to see each one of you. Thanks for coming out on a hazy Sunday morning in uh, the Salt Lake Valley. It is uh, great to have you with us in person, as well as those who are joining us uh, online as well. So thank you so much. Uh, for being here this morning. I want to bring your attention to one other announcement I need to make. And um, so we are uh, going to be hosting kind of a week of prayer coming up uh, be- starting next Sunday through the following Sunday. So January 23rd through 30th. Uh, the book of Revelation says this in uh, chapter 1, verse 8. It says, I am, uh, Jesus says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is, who was, and who is still to come, the all-powerful, right? And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a look. Um, there's a passage in Exodus that we're going to unpack through the week of prayer, uh, stories of Jesus tying into all of this, but ultimately uh, we're looking to the faithfulness of God in the past, to his faithfulness now, and then that faithfulness that we know is going to be there in the future, ultimately leading us to hope in Jesus Christ. And so uh, make sure that you find ways to participate uh, online. Um, we will have available for you a uh, little uh, document that you can download and maybe take notes on. We'll have it available as well this next week in print uh, so you can follow along. And then every night, 7.30 p.m., uh, one of the pastors and staff, we're going to be live on Facebook, and that'll be uh, the, West, or the, uh, the Life Church as well as Tuwilla and Espanol will be live at 7.30 uh, every, every night uh, just for an opportunity for the family to gather together, and if you're able to, uh, to be able to pray with us, interact a little bit uh, during that time. Wednesday night will be special because uh, you'll actually be joining the youth uh, on Wednesday night. They're going to be doing a live, uh, live stream. Pastor Tate will be leading uh, that night in prayer, and uh, so grateful for that opportunity. So make sure uh, that you're a part of what God is doing through prayer. How many of you know that prayer is powerful? <laughs> Right, we need, we need, we need, we need to be committed to prayer, and so let it, let this be a, a time of transformation for us uh, this next week. So starting next Sunday, you're going to get more information about that. I'm going to bring these uh, forward here really quickly. If you can't see, these are cookies. I don't want to lean them too far forward because they're going to they're going to fall. Some cookies that I made last night. Very excited about that. So how many of you remember when you were a small child? Uh, or, well, maybe even now, right? And, and maybe, you're, maybe you're like 50 and you live at home or whatever, okay? So, but you remember when your mother, or father as the case may be, or grandmother, made cookies. Anybody remember that? Just that the smell? You can just close your eyes and just, just remember the smell of the, those cookies right now. Just, mmm, yes. Relish the moment, right? You, you remember the smell going through the house, and then you remember, I mean, and you wanted those cookies, right? You smell and you wanted them. But then how many of you also remember the command of your mother that said something along the, the following, if you eat one of these cookies, you will die. <laughs> Anybody have a mom like that? Because there was definitely uh, times, right? Do not eat the cookies, therefore something special later on, or I'm making these for, not for you, I'm making them for the neighbors, or right, right, whatever it was. And then all of a sudden, what happened in that moment, you wanted the cookies before, but now that there is a command not to eat the cookies, what happened to you on the inside? You had to have those cookies. You couldn't stop yourself. 
And so what you would do is, especially if you were, you know, more young, right now for me, reaching the top shelf is not a problem, okay? Um, I help people all the time, Walmart, by the way, if you see me in Walmart or wherever I am, Target, whatever, and you see me and you need help on the top shelf, regardless of what it says, you know, it says that, that little thing on there that says, please ask for help to get things from the top shelf. Have you seen that sign? Maybe those who are shorter, you can't even see that sign, right? I disregard that sign every time, so just so you know. But, but right, so, so you know you're not supposed to get them, but you find yourself near where the cookies are all of the time so that eventually... You eat a cookie, it's inevitable, right? You can't stop yourself. I'm going to put that down there. Who wants a cookie? Oh, no, not really. We feel this, right? I mean, we know this with cookies, and a silly example, right? Um... You wanted a cookie before, but now you desperately want a cookie. There's something of that desperation, something of that decision that's tied in to the command or the law that is given. All of a sudden, something awakens within you, and we all feel it. Uh, remember that old song by the, by the Spice Girls? Anybody remember, uh, remember that? Tell you what I want, what I really, really want. Well, I tell you what I want, what I really, really want. I want a cookie, right? I mean, that is, that is kind of going through my head uh, right now. And so... This morning, what I want to do is I want to take a bit of a backwards look at Romans chapter 6 and 7. We're actually going to start toward the end of chapter 7. Um, and we're going to hit both of these chapters today. We're going to be covering a lot of ground. I am, um, uh, the, the reason for that is because I'm super excited uh, for, for Romans chapter 8. And in fact, it's not going to be weird or anything like that. But, but in fact, I'm so excited that I had Shelly uh, make me a t-shirt. And this t-shirt says, I can't wait for Romans 8. So I am that excited about, uh, about next week uh, when we get to Romans uh, chapter 8. So, yeah, I'm kind of a Bible nerd, so, uh, so it's okay. Now I can't get my, my shirt buttoned up, but that's okay. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look from the end of chapter 7 and work our way back uh, through chapter 6. So if you want to uh, turn in your Bibles, please, to Roman chapters, Romans chapter 7, uh, beginning at verse uh, 14 for us uh, this morning. So chapter 6 and 7 are kind of a hinge point in all of uh, the book of Romans leading up to what will be chapter 8 where we're going to be next week. Um, everything is leading to these conclusions. Paul has been hitting this thing time and time and time again about faith, about sin, about Jesus, right? I mean, kind of opening up this world for us. And it's like, okay, Paul, we've got it. Seven chapters of dealing with this. We finally get it. And so he gets to the end of Romans chapter 7, verse 14. And this is what he says. For we know that the law is spiritual. So the, the law is a good thing, right? The law, you know, so the, it's a good thing. But I am unspiritual, sold into slavery to sin. Then we get to this crazy part of Romans chapter 7. Many of you, if you've been around the church a long time, or if you read through Romans, you get to this point and you go, yes, I totally feel this. So here's Paul. For I don't understand what I'm doing. For I do not do what I want. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I do what I don't want, I agree that the law is good. It seems kind of strange to say it that way. But the law reveals that there is a righteousness, a holiness, 
There's a right way to live. And because the law is spiritual and right and good, and my mouth is watering, because, <laughs> because all of that right, we recognize that the law is good because we want so badly not to do what God tells us to do. That's how we know what God is saying is good. So, uh, but I agree that the law is good. But now, it is no longer me doing it, but sin that lives in me. I'll unpack that a little bit. For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. For I want to do the good, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but I do the very evil I do not want. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer me doing it, but it is sin that lives in me. So there is this idea that um, inhabiting within us is this desire called sin, this sin that leads to disobedience, working alongside of the good things that we would like to do. How many of you know that that is the case for you? Raise your hand in, in all honesty. Raise your hand. Some of you are not raising your hands. <laughs> right? We recognize we all deal with this. Some of you have both hands up, right? So Psalm 19, 7 through 11, I don't have it up on the notes for you, but it says this, the law of God is perfect. Right, uh, perfect and right. It leads to joy. It imparts wisdom. It's trustworthy, more valuable than gold or Bitcoin. So what went wrong? <laughs> right? We recognize that the law of God is good. It's a great thing, in fact, because it leads to joy. It leads to hope. It leads to what is right and what is perfect. So like the cookie jar or like the cookie plate here, the command awakened within us desire. Uh, like last week, we talked about the Garden of Eden, the, the Garden of Eden, the old Garden of Eden at play within us. Um, but at the Garden of Eden, I want to unpack it just a little bit more for us today. And there are things that are going on inside of Eve that are actually recorded by John in the book of 1 John, chapter 2, verse 16. So if you've got your Bibles or your, uh, um, uh, whatever that thing is, your phone, and you're able to look it up there on the Bible app. And remember, on the Bible app, we've got everything out there, your notes, the scriptures, all of that. Uh, go to more on the lower right-hand corner and look for events, and you'll see Life Church uh, live there. Um, so in uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, the core issue for uh, Eve and for Adam and for us, and listen to this, what he says. Um, he says, everything that is in the world, the craving for whatever the body feels, the craving for whatever the eyes see, and the arrogant pride in one's possessions is not of the Father, but is of the world. There are many scholars who think that this is actually a, a really good, all-encompassing kind, of, uh, kind of list when it comes to uh, this disobedience associated uh, with sin. And so really, there are three parts to this. Number one, and some, uh, some other versions will have this word in, in place of craving, but it says the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those three things that are, uh, that are there deeply embedded within us. That only comes out when we know that there is a law that says don't do this. So the flesh, so Eve, it says, saw that the fruit was good for food. This is going to be really good for me. I know I'm not supposed to have it, but this is going to be really, really, really good for me. <laughs> Justifying the fact that this has grains in it. It's got flour, unbleached flour, so it's much better for you. <laughs> Right? It has that in there, so I can justify taking this. 
The idea is that which is forbidden that I want to acquire it for myself. And I want to take into my own hands this thing I know I'm not supposed to have. I need this, whatever this is, this thing that looks so good to sustain me, I need this in order for me to live properly. It's a real need in my life. I need food, God. So, Lord, this must be available for me to have as well, whatever it is. Seeking physical pleasure against the, way, uh, against the right way as, as uh, given by God. That we would feel uh, somehow satisfied in a way outside of what God has said, you know, that's good. But I'm going to do it my own way because this is good for food. It's good for satisfying something deep, a need within me. And this sexual sins included, of course. Maybe physical violence, physical needs above godliness, whatever that is. This, this lust of the flesh plays a big part in that disobedience that wants to come out in our lives as soon as we hear, don't do this. Don't have that. The other side is uh, this idea of lust of the eyes or craving for what the eyes see. This is that, that idea of coveting what others have. That what you have is better than I have, so I must have what you have. Tell me what I want, what I really, really want, <laughs> right? I want your car. I want your house. I, I, I want your relationships. I want your job. I want, I want your children. Have you seen my children, right? I mean, you've got all of that stuff that is out there, this lust of the eyes. Feeds directly from the social media world. I don't know if you know that or not. We've talked about this a lot. It kind of flows from that social media world out there. Um, and uh, what you see can be so addictive. Their life is better than my life. I want their life. Because God, my life is filled with trouble. And what they're showing me on their social media is their life is perfect. But behind the scenes, you know it's not. Right? You know that. Just notice how you post what you post, and you know it's not always like it seems in the pictures. It's feeding this core desire in human nature, status, possessions, houses, relationships, spouse, you name it, right? I want what I don't have. And the last one is pride of life, this idea of putting ourselves in a position over others. Look at me, look at what I have attained, um, look what I have, have accomplished, I like this fruit, uh, Eve says, because it's going to give me something so that I can have a leg up on other people, so that I can now have wisdom. I can now know right from wrong. I can now know, I can have knowledge of good and evil. The desire to be noticed. Now, even Jesus, you might say, um, you know, he's exempt from all of these things, and I would actually argue that that's not the case. That there actually is, if we take a look at this, uh, uh, this, this really unique story in the book of Luke, where Jesus is out in the desert, right? He'd just been baptized, and the Spirit of God leads him out into the desert to a place of loneliness, and there in that place of loneliness, it says that Satan came to him and tempted him. Does that seem weird that the Son of God can be tempted? I mean, that, that, that there's even a chance that he would choose the not right thing? Is there a chance he would choose the cookie when mom said, no, Jesus, no cookies for you today? But what we see is the same sort of thing going on in Jesus' life. Satan uh, asked Jesus, hey, why don't you make some bread? You, need, you, you covet life, right? You, you want to live. So we're going to have you make some bread, this 
lust of the flesh, Jesus rebuked with the word of God and said, you know, man doesn't live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So, so Jesus was tempted that way. The, uh, this idea of um, the lust of the eyes, right? At one point, Satan takes Jesus to, to a very high point and says, look and see all of these nations, they can be yours if you just bow down to me. Same sort of thing, man. You talk about, Jesus knew what was ahead for him, knew that the cross was there. If he could get it the easy way, how often do we choose the easy way? All I have to do is give up this little bit and I gain all of this. Man, sign me up. Another time, Jesus is taken to the high point in the temple and was, was told, jump down from here because God's not going to let you uh, twist an ankle, right? That's a promise directly from the word of God, that pride of life, that your life is more meaningful than others. Jesus faced it all. Just like Eve, just like Adam, and Jesus won. Jesus stood up against in that moment, all right? So uh, this is what we all face. It's baked into the system. Sin has this twofold reality, and we feel it disordered relations with God and disordered relations with our fellow humanity. Things are broken. And here's the rub it's not supposed to be this way, which, by the way, is uh, the name of a midweek uh, class that's being taught. It's not supposed to be this way for our, for our ladies, right? It's not supposed to be this way. The struggle has been from the beginning, but Paul is dancing around a big change that he is looking forward to uh, through chapter 6 and chapter 7. And uh, so uh, before chapter 7 is chapter 6, I know that blows your mind, but we're going to turn back there to Romans chapter 6, verse 12. And this is what Paul says here. And remember, this is before he's like going, you know, the things I want to do, I don't do, but the things that I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. Okay, so this is before that. Romans chapter 6, verse 12. He says this. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. That's very strange because later on he goes, I, I can't even fight against this, but he says, do not let sin. It's, there's a choice that is being given in this moment. Don't let sin reign in your body so that you obey its desires. And do not present your members to sin as instruments to be used for unrighteousness. So again, do not present. There's an there's an agency that we have. There's a decision that we have. There's a responsibility that we have, Paul is saying, to uh, acquiesce to sin, to give ourselves to sin, to, to put ourselves in a position where our body and our mind and our strength is all turned towards the things that we know we shouldn't have. He says, but present yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead and your members to God as instruments to be used for righteousness. Verse 14, for sin will have no mastery over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. So Paul is giving us this incredible picture, and this is kind of in the context of baptism, by the way, but he's giving us this incredible picture of the way that our lives should and could be. But we face the cookie jar. Right? We've been told, don't do this, and something within us rises up to want to acquire that. So those words there that present that agency for us, um, that you know, don't let sin reign over you, but present your bodies to Christ in essence, instead of presenting your bodies to sin. 
So in processing this for our everyday life, um, we have the ability to choose. You realize that, that we have the ability to choose. But we, unredeemed, naturally choose sin. But we have a responsibility for every one of our actions. The things that we do, we are responsible for, notwithstanding what Paul said earlier when he said, you know, but I know it's not me that's doing this, it's sin living in me. Well, as he said, don't let sin reign over you. Don't let sin master you. There's a decision in all of this. And since there's the reality of spoken by Paul that we can choose righteousness, what's missing? How do we actually do this? How do we actually get out of this trap? For human beings then, there's this idea of a no-exit situation from which escape is necessary but impossible to, to achieve on our own power. What Paul needs to find for the human race then is a solution that will not only deal with the sins that we commit, right, but it will deal with sin, <laughs> As a, as a thing or a force or a disobedience that is built into the system, that he's got to deal with the sins as well as the sin that, will, that uh, will reconcile not only people to God, but also people to one another. That, that the answer or the solution that Paul is going to bring forth has to be able to answer all of that. With the sin that we inevitably commit, what is the fallout? And I can look back to my life and, and now, I mean, I, I received Christ. Um, at the age of about 16-ish, uh, somewhere right around there is when things kind of changed for my life. Uh, but uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, I think, gives us this very interesting, um, or actually verse 21 through 23, gives us this very interesting moment for us to be retrospective about our lives and the way that we were versus the way that we are now that, that we're redeemed, for those who are redeemed. He says, so what benefit did you then reap from those things that you are now ashamed of? What benefit was there for you when you chose to do what you knew was wrong? In my life, alcohol was a growing uh, force in my life. What benefit was it as a teenager that I am now ashamed of? Was there any benefit to that in my life other than telling me that was really dumb, <laughs> right? Was there any benefit? For the end of those things is death. But now, freed from sin and enslaved to God, you have your benefit leading to sanctification. And the end is not death, but it's eternal life. For the payoff of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is so central to how we handle salvation. We recognize that there is a, a payment uh, that we are ultimately responsible for because of the sinful choices that we make and that payment is death. That's what we receive. And these verses are the outflow of the previous argument of Paul in this letter. We're given a gift, the key to solve this unsolvable crisis of the individual and all of humanity. There is no good harvest from the choices of sin, which is our natural bent. We say that again. There is no good harvest from the choices of sin, that is our natural bent. Quick aside, can bad people do good things? Can bad people do good things? Of course, right? Sinful people, people far from God making choices can do good things. They can do right things. And so there's a celebration anytime that happens because to me, 
That's an inbreaking of the image of God that is inherent in every one of us who are human. There is something within, right, something within us of the image of God, and there is, man, at times a goodness that comes out of humanity. Sometimes it is few and far between, right? But somewhere in there, and there's, there's a goodness, but the thing is, this is the caveat, that goodness, those good things that show up from time to time, totally inadequate to lead us to salvation. There's nothing good within us or righteous within us that leads us to salvation. That's the difference. And so just living a moral life, that's not enough. Just living a good life and providing for your children, that's nice. That's a good thing, but I think that's a, a natural outflow of some of the image of God in our lives, taking care of and having compassion in those beautiful things of life. But that in itself is not enough for salvation. Romans chapter 7, verse 22. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. In other words, on the inside, I know what's right and wrong, and I delight on the inside. But I see a different law in my members waging war. You ever feel like there's war going on inside of you to choose the right thing? There's a war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? So Paul gets up to this point that we are all in this position together. There's a battle. Some days we feel it intensely. Other days it's like, you know, we've gotten victory over whatever that is, but it's just biding its time for the cookie to show up again, <laughs> for us to want that that we should not want look at the world around us, we see the battle raging some days and other days it's subdued. There's a delight internally in all that God is, but when push comes to shove, we are shoved in the direction of self rather than the divine. We're pushed in the direction of sin. That's our natural way that we're already bent and leaning towards, and so it often doesn't take much to push us over the edge. My mind is taken captive. My flesh pushes through conviction. I give in to the lure of flesh, to the coveting of things, to the pride of my own life. Wretched is the way that Paul describes himself and us by extension. But there is a desperate cry within us, within every one of us. I want to be free. Right? I, it's not the Queen song. Right? It's not the Spice Girls, what I really want, right? That's not it. I want true freedom. Freedom from guilt, from shame, from fear of repeating what I saw in my parents or other people of influence in our lives. We want to be rescued from the continual sense of failure and brokenness in our lives. We want the sin within us, the locus of the battle, to be dealt with one final time. We desperately want that. And I believe we don't just want that because... You know, you're here today in church, and yes, I want that, but I believe that outside the walls of the church, that image of God that is struggling so hard within people, it is dying to get out. But the only way to get out, the one and only way, Romans chapter 7, verse 25, says this, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's it. That is it. Um, I'd like us to stand to our feet. And I know the last couple of weeks, I mean, we have, uh, well, last week when we 
got back into the Romans thing, and then even before this, as we were ending the, uh, the first part last fall, and we have been hitting this subject really, really hard. And I think the reason for that is, you know, Paul dealing with this really for seven chapters is because he recognizes just how difficult of a battle this is. He recognized just what kind of internal struggle we have, and he, he nails it, doesn't he? There is this war going on within me all the time. I'm a wretched person. Who's going to rescue me? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's it. And so again, we have before us a decision to make. Right, remember, are we going to be slave to sin? Paul gives us that. Hey, you can run down that road if you would like. Present your bodies to sin. Or else he says, present your bodies to righteousness. Every head bowed, every head closed for just a moment. Um, there's two parts to this. The very, very first one is, uh, for those of you who are here today, maybe you're watching us uh, online as well in this moment, um, and you recognize that war within you, and you have lost that battle. You, you feel, I mean, or you sense within you that you are far away from God and that you have given yourself time and time and time and time again to sin and you've never received Jesus as your Savior. And, and I do want to make this clear because there's a second part to this. We're going to deal differently with those who are following Christ, right? But you've never received Jesus as your Savior. You've never received his life into your life. You've never made that decision to say, Jesus, I want to follow after you. I want to identify with you. I want my life to be found in yours. And if that's you this morning, you say, Pastor, I really know that I need Jesus in my life because I'm wretched, I'm broken, I am hurting, and, and I just fall into sin. That lean is already there, and I just fall into that sin. If that's you this morning, just lift your hand really quickly. Say, I just need Jesus. I recognize that in my life. Thank you, thank you, thank you. number of hands up. I'd like all of us to repeat a very, very simple prayer um, at this time. Say, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for rescuing me. And Jesus, thank you for dealing with sin once and for all. That you have given me freedom. You've given me forgiveness. You've given me new life. And Jesus, I trust you with my new life. Thank you for dying on the cross to set me free. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's welcome those. There were many, many hands that were raised. So then we come to the second part of it. And this is that Romans chapter seven thing that really deals with us. And this is really for those, you've been walking this road maybe for a while. Follower of Christ, love Jesus. But man, that war has been really tough lately within you. And in fact, maybe you've given in to the temptation. Um, you're not alone, right? Maybe you have struggled to the point where you've been, God, I, I'm struggling even with my faith. This, this has been the anxiety, whatever it is, it seems to be piling up there. And I am really struggling right now with some big things in my life. You say, Pastor, I'm willing to kind of own up to that. I'm willing to recognize this battle within me, and I just want freedom. I, I, I want and need that freedom. Um, 
For those of you who have been a follower of Christ for a while, you should recognize that there come times in your life when you just have to say, no matter the cost, no matter what it takes in this moment, I mean business with the decision that I am in this process, right? I, I, I can decide to continue down the sin road. I can decide to continue down righteousness with Christ's help. Um, this is that deciding point, I think, for us. And if that's you and you would say, yeah, I, there is a struggle. The war is real within me. And I know that I just need that freedom. Um, I'm going to invite you to come on down to the front. And I just want to be able to pray over all of you because we are in this together, folks. And by coming down, by the way, it doesn't mean that there's like some major sin that you're going to have to confess. I'm going to put a microphone out and have you confess, right? That's not the point. But it's just there is a battle within me and I feel myself getting weaker and weaker and weaker. And I'm struggling right now and just say, I just want prayer. I want to take that step of faith. Can you just come on down to the front? We're going to worship uh, the Lord in just a moment. Come on down. Don't, don't be shy to be the first person. Now, thank you. Come on down. Right, folks, we're in this together. And there are moments when our brothers and sisters are hurting. Right, our brothers and sisters are saying, this battle is, this is a struggle for me. I know we've got some of our prayer team that's going to be walking around as well and praying with you. Come on down. Come on down. I'm going to ask us to, uh, um, Natasha, can you lead us in the... Um, that you are worthy, that chorus. Just this moment, you are worthy. Sometimes we get our eyes on ourselves, right? Let's get them off of ourselves and turn them up to our, to our Father in heaven. You are worthy, Jesus, of your name. Let's sing that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Let's all lift our hands to him this morning. Father, we stand in this moment. God, we're in this moment, and Lord, we recognize the battle is real. God, we don't want to deny the fact that there are times when we feel strong, and other times, God, when we feel so vulnerable to the attack of the enemy and that sin within us. But God, I thank you that you are the God who rescues us from our own trouble. God, you are the God who rescues us from our shame, from our guilt, from our sin. Lord, you are the God who rescues us time and time and time again. Lord, I thank you that you are faithful to your word. Lord, I am grateful for the fact that we can come. Lord, we can come and present ourselves again at an altar and say, God, we know within ourselves that we are not enough. God, we fail on our own. But Jesus, with you, everything changes. And so, God, I pray your blessing upon these who have come down. Lord, that that blessing would provide for them courage and obedience and strength. That, God, you would give them, Lord, your presence in a new and a powerful way, God. That you would show yourself to be present with them, Lord. And that, God, when we look at the command that is out there, and, Lord, it rises up a desire within us, Lord, help us to choose to put ourselves with you, God, 
and not with sin. And Lord, I'm grateful that we don't do this alone. And folks, here's why I'm so excited for Romans chapter 8. Right, because sometimes we feel like that, that we can be alone, right? That this decision for Jesus is kind of an isolation. Yeah, we've got friends and family around us that are, that are there to support us. But listen to what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 2. There's a little preview for next week. This is what it says. For the law of the life-giving spirit in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Folks, we have the Spirit of God that lives within us. Does it mean we will never struggle? No. Because Paul had the Spirit live within There's a struggle there. But there is within us a power that is not our own, a power that does not give up, a power that is always faithful, and that is the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Romans chapter 8 over the next five weeks that we're going to be digging into Romans chapter 8, folks. We're in this for a little while because there is so much I take my shirt off again, right? I can't wait for Romans 8, right? There is something so powerful about that. Um, And Jesus wants to give us that power and that strength through his spirit dwells within us. So, Father, I'm grateful for today. Lord, as we leave from this place, God, be glorified and lifted up. And, uh, Lord, we recognize the choices in our life. And so, God, help us to choose you at every turn. And, Lord, I thank you that that preview, Lord, that we are filled with the Spirit. And because we are filled with the Spirit, we're able to choose righteousness in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, as we leave from this place, God, help us to be able to lead the people of the valley to be more like you. God, help us to intentionally seek to love others, God. Help us to be radically generous. And Lord, let your word come alive in us as we are committed to biblical truth. Lord, we love you this day. God, we give you all the glory. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. If you would like prayer for anything at all, please stay down. Don't leave too quickly. We've got our prayer teams that are up here. We would love to pray with you. Otherwise, God bless you guys. Thank you so much uh, for being here today. Don't forget uh, the uh, Tucson trip. Sign up for that if you can. Also, water baptisms. God bless you.